podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It is the Friday show, Neil Atkinson, with Fuad Hassan, Andy Heaton, Josh Sexton and Chris Barber. To talk through, well, the weekend's games to come. We're not going to touch Liverpool. It's Monday night. Honestly, we're recording this on Thursday. It feels like we're playing about nine years. I can't believe that we're not going to get to see the Reds anytime soon. And I'm really, really gutted that I'm actually out the country when the next play because it was moved by television. I'm in favour of most television moves, but this one's gone against me. So we will start off with the first game of the weekend because we've got Chris in, which is Chelsea against Tottenham Hotspur. And Chris, Chelsea are shite. Oh man! <laughs> um, it's come as a shock to me because I was convinced you were good and it transpires your shite. The thing you got to remember is when when the season started, uh, I'd say the bar was was low. Do you remember when West Brom with a low bar, and every time you lost to West Brom, someone got sacked. Yeah, we, we were like the West Brom. I thought our bar was pretty low in terms of like I'd have, I'd have taken a relegation battle for the idea of it, <laughs> but I was sort of thinking, yeah, but what if? What if? England's greatest ever midfielder, Frank Lampard. Uh, what if he? What if he? What if he actually does something special? And then, and then the season started, and I was like, "Oh, this is actually oddly enjoyable because we're not in that race, but we're doing. We're slightly north of the bar, um, and at worst, we're quite naive and nervous, and but at best, it's oddly enjoyable. And like, despite some completely like flaccid performances in a lot of matches, namely at home, we're still. It's mad how you're fourth. Oh, it's great because we're still in. <laughs> that's what I mean. There's still a lot of open doors, like fourth place. We're still in the Champions League. Still FA, the cup. FA Cup's still alive. We got you know knocked out by um, United in the League Cup, but it happens. But like I said, so there's still. It just we are like we are the bar this season of of shite, and just south it's, of us is is super shite. It's like every time I see you, I either see you win. Like you did yeah. against Tottenham in the, in the, the return yeah. of this fixture, and be like, Christ, Chelsea are really good. Or I watch it, and I'm like, these are dreadful. And there's oh, no middle ground. Yeah, I very no. rarely see you just get a run of the mill 2 0 no, against someone I, or anything like I, that. I don't think we've been 2 0 up all season <laughs> on purpose. <laughs> it just, I, I, it, it's properly bonkers, but that's where it's elements of it are enjoyable. Like, I've got a few mates who are like Stoke fans and that, and they've always said that what they don't get about being a Chelsea fan is what are your expectations? Every game you want to win, so on and so forth. And I've actually had a bit of the flavour of what it's like to support shite this season, and it's been all right at times. I've, I've enjoyed it. It's, I can't sit here and say I've had it. Has it been more fun than last season? Last season you won the Europa yeah, League well, and you came fourth. Is this more fun? And I think, yeah, I think that's the thing that's so weird about this season. I think it comes down to the likeable squad, it comes down to the fact that we like the manager. Um, but you compare that to last season, even the fact that he's still playing Kante, where Sari did, but apparently it's all right now. <laughs> <laughs> it is interesting, isn't it? Because going into this, this season, you sort of had Chelsea as this, as this sort of package, as, as Chris just said there, which got the exciting team, the young manager, and you almost felt like the expectation was off. And they were doing really well up until the, up until the transfer ban gets lifted. And all of a sudden, now they can make transfers <laughs> and they have to operate like a, like a normal club. It seemed to have all gone wrong from there. It seems to have been less, less of an adventure. It's, I, I mean, the, the game against United, yes, there's other VAR stuff but ultimately you're just not very good and I, I, yeah. I was watching it going they're going to come alive in a minute and maybe maybe if the Giroud goal would have stood I think you might have gone on and got a 2 all or something like yeah, that maybe. but I was just watching it thinking it's really strange this because this to me felt like you beat United you knocked them out the race for top four it affords you losing dropping some more points in a couple of weeks when you go to Bournemouth and do something mad yeah. and yet even there it still doesn't come off has it just been poor at home all season so the United game for me is an indication of how the problems at the club are still there, and I think I think it's a bit boring when people talk about how top how badly top club clubs are run. But lads, this is going to be boring, right? Because we are run in the weirdest way. Like, for example, we were quite good for a while at identifying who was who was dipping and getting someone in, like the SCN McAlealy sort of conversation. Check to Courtois, 
But then since sort of Costa and Courtois, like Courtois spent his whole last season showing his bits to Madrid, basically, Atletico Madrid. And then on two days before transfer window closes, we absolutely splash 80-odd million on Kepa, who I think is a really good keeper. He's a young keeper. He could well be our keeper for a long time. But we're now playing a 38-year-old man called Willie. And... And that's that's meant to be progress in terms of the season goes. And we've just we've spent years signing mediocrity like Ross Barkley, like Drinkwater, and just sort of not bringing in players who are coming in and kicking anyone up the arse. So you've still got players like Willian, who I think is amazing, but he's walking into that starting eleven every week, and you could argue he probably shouldn't be. Um, so there is, it feels like that Chelsea's changed a lot. Probably around the time we got Mourinho back was when it really started to like. Crumbling United, United showed that because we lose a striker who probably shouldn't be starting as much as he is in Tammy Abraham. He's not yet. He's decent, but he's not yet warranting of that much loyalty. And there's just no one behind him. No, no wonder he's starting because training must just be weird for him. Because <laughs> he just, he just does what he wants, and he's like, "Yes, Mitchy's just doing handstands in the background, just having, <laughs> having a great time." Which is fine. I love Mitchy, and Giroud's gorgeous. It's fine, but it could be better. <laughs> it could be, it could be, it could be better at football. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They seem like Andy. This one against this game coming up is absolutely huge. It's it's arguably the, the the biggest game of the weekend in that Leicester versus Man City's got a lot going on, but it doesn't feel as though whatever the result is, it's going to have that much ramifications and that knock on effect to what happens next. Chelsea are fourth, Tottenham are fifth. Tottenham are going to Chelsea's gaff, albeit with no forwards. Uh, we find ourselves in a situation where. Ultimately, if Tottenham were to beat Chelsea, you would feel as though this is the point where it begins to be a bit of a, cru- a crunch moment for Chelsea and they've suddenly got their eye on what's happening in Switzerland. Oh, you mean the, this race for the top five? That one. Yeah, oh, that one. If it becomes okay. a thing. Yeah, if well, when it becomes a thing, but more on that later. No, I think if anything, it's a weird one. I'm kind of with you. It's almost as if Lampard started too well. Mm. And they kind of thought, all right, okay, this brave new world, I mean... The, the old Alan Hansen, you don't win anything with kids, but it was exciting. It yeah. was kind of like, well, you know what? Maybe like not them not spending. That was the narrative. What it maybe they're not spending the, the money. Yeah, 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 certainly has done them good because there's a focus. And then they did. They, then they could spend money and didn't anyway. Mm. And it and it just seems to have all gone a little bit on top of it. I, I don't know. They seem to lack leaders. I don't know what it's like outside looking uh, in. It's, it's. I mean, I, I thought it was a really brave move letting da- David Luiz go. Mm. Um, because he's a, he's a big strong personality, but that can be a net. But when people talk about big strong personalities, they talk about it as always being a positive. That can necessarily be a, a massive negative. And I think the way as the way it's gone for him at Arsenal has kind of been testament to that. But that's kind of left a vacuum. And when the going was good and they had momentum, it was all fine. But then when it started to stutter a little bit, I think they've struggled. I mean, you you tell me there doesn't seem to be anyone there. I completely agree. And for me, the first indication was that was last year's League Cup final when I still think Kepa was in the right. He should have stayed on the pitch. He was clearly wasting time trying to get to pens. But why is X many senior pros, including on the bench in in Zola, why are they letting a twenty one year old scream at a seventy year old from hundred meters? What what benefit? What does that look like? Why is Aspiaqueta not wandering over at least to have a conversation? All he said after the game was, "I was too far away." Well, your legs. It's presumably oh. operational, so. <laughs> <laughs> and you use them. And, and the David Luiz thing's interesting because I think Lampard basically told him what the score was and said, you can do what you want with this information. You can stay or you can go. And you're right, we haven't got that leadership. And I think our captain, similar to at the time I thought with your captain, where it was a captain of convenience of who was left when a big captain left. That was too many lefts, but with fine. Um, and he's not really stepped up to it by the fact he's consistent with his performances. So what, what I'm curious about, and... 
I've never really spoke to a Chelsea fan about this. Probably it's just again outside perceptions. Could be we have meetings. I can invite you along. <laughs> <laughs> you're all right. Yeah, you're fine. Um, but this culture of you, you said yourself with Kepa's basically shouting down mm. Sari, and there just seems to be in this culture for the last fifteen years of the the Chelsea Chelsea being ran by the dressing room. So yeah, John Terry, Frank Lampard, and they'd force managers out, and it was basically the whole thing was. The players would just stop playing because they know that they'd be they'd outlast who was ever the, the, the current mm-hmm. incumbent was at the time. So you flip that around, and now you got Frank Lampard, yeah. who was part of that power core mm-hmm. in the che- in the Chelsea dressing room, now bearing the brunt of that, but the other way. Yeah, and I think we're, we're a very limp team in that regard. I've always thought about that. You said the last fifteen years. I personally think the two managers who fell foulest to that were Scolari and AVB, who have both not done a great deal in terms of as managers. And they're, they're the two that were really, I would say, hounded out. I would say the rest harnessed that arrogance in the so dressing room. I'll give you a specific example. So you're told that by people who know him that Rafa was given the Chelsea job to basically... Yeah, oh, completely. To basically, mar- not march Terry out, but yeah. basically retire John Terry. Yeah, and Lampard. and, and a- uh, Yeah, and then, but within a, couple, within a couple of weeks, it's clear that that isn't going to happen because the crowd are absolutely yeah. against him. And the promises that he was made that he got, and the power yeah. he was promised was just, just wasn't there. And I'm slightly more level-headed than a lot of Chelsea fans. Rafa's one of my favourite managers of the last decade because of what he managed to do transitionally. But you're absolutely right. And I do think that comes down to, it comes down to the relationship with those players with the fans because John Terry knew he could just chuck out a little interview, uh, post something on Instagram and he'd be, he'd be the person getting clapped onto the pitch. He could literally say, I do not like this manager, I'm not listening to him. And no one would bat an eyelid simply because, and that's where the personnel were the problem and they were the difference. In other clubs where that sort of thing happened, where the wrong man was put in in a job, in, in, in some people's opinion doesn't mean it's the right opinion. Um, but that culture is absolutely there and that culture has almost completely now left us with what feels at times like a sixth form common room with a few people who've had to resit some years. Do you know what I mean? That's what it feels like. It just feels like Pedro and Willian just spunked their A-levels doing something else. And the, re- and the rest of just sort of like this brave new world, we haven't got to wear a uniform and you've got three periods. And that and Lampard is doing well to harness that. He's also, I liked at first how he brought so many youth coaches with him because Jody Morris and Jamal Edwards were a big part of our success with those players. And I also am starting to question whether this, appointment was much more about keeping those players contracted to the club rather than giving Lampard a chance at management because you save yourself a lot of negotiations with a lot of players simply by giving him 18 months because they didn't sign five-year deals and that's probably the bigger win you can if you had to but you can make a financial argument you had, the you had to be yeah, mean about it you like can sack Lampard yeah you can sack Lampard for a lot less than you can miss out on those players um, so I, I'm starting to wander that but at the same time I also think like you said he started really well he almost started too well and we're now in a situation where none of the plans are actually going to plan because we're doing better than we should but still not good enough what, what do you make of Granit Scova? I like her I think I think I think she seems to get I mean the Hazard the sale of players she's really good at that the money we got for Hazard was quite impressive and the pre-contracts with Pulisic and Zayac are quite impressive and some of the Chelsea seem to do quite a lot she's managed this situation of lots of young players the loan sort of system well but again I still think it's odd when Conte uh, Conte, sorry wins the league with someone else's squad should never have won that league and then goes oh can I have a proper right back not Victor Moses and they're like no sorry (laughs) we'll get you Zappa Costa at five to midnight is that all right and that and that's where I think there's still massive holes in in what goes on in between the pitch, the dressing room and, and, and elsewhere. 
Do you, do you think that's why he's been so vocal, you know, with, with his transfers things and his press conferences, you know, he's not been shy to say that we are kind of, we, we are shy, we, we are kind of lacking an attacker. We, you know, probably don't have the numbers that we need to compete on this yeah. sort of level. And, you know, I guess Europe's always, always there still and, and Bayern Munich is a big tie. Absolutely. And, you know, with the young team, I don't know, it, to me, it'd be quite an exciting tie, even though you're probably not favourites. 100%, going into- I'm really looking forward to it. And having that comes into what Andy said about Lampard also knows how to get the fans to, like, it's the same problem but in a different set of clothes now in a suit not a kit he yeah. still knows if he says things the fans Lampard could probably play Kante at left back and get away with it for a couple of seasons because he's, he's he knows what he means to the club we've been crying out for a bit of identity since the board decided to put in Benitez which the club the fans just felt was the sort of antithesis of what, what they wanted <laughs> idiots um, but I, th- I think the Bayern Munich tie for that, and that's what I'm saying with this season is exciting because I'm yeah. actually going to see us against a really good side. Yeah. And I mean, I'm, looking, you're I'm get, looking forward to that. The run of games, is, so sometimes I think this is what, you know, I've always said, Chris, one of the things that you want from football is to still feel like things are alive in February and say what you want. Yeah, you know it, what, might, yeah. it, it might not have been great. Uh, it might be played 26, 41 points on the board and a goal difference of seven. But the flip side is, is that you've got to look forward to across the next two weeks, Tottenham at home in the Premier League, uh, which is a massive game. Bayern Munich at home in the Champions League, massive game. Then a bit of a rest away at Bournemouth. And then Liverpool at home in the FA Cup. And that's always yeah. part of what you want as a football supporter, exactly. is to feel as February turns to March, I'm really looking forward to my football. Yeah, completely. And and, and again, part of the excitement there is part of the young squad is the inconsistencies you're going to get. So we could win two of those. We could lose three of them. Or, you know, a away result in Munich would be anything. So it, it would be, obviously, it would be brilliant, not anything. I didn't mean that. Um, it, so... It's a sort of football, like I said, football to look forward to. It's not like we're, because there's nothing worse when you're inconsistent than Burnley away because you're like, oh shit, this could be like one of those moments when nothing else happens for the weekend and all anyone and all you think about all week is the fact that Chris Wood scored a brace. But the fact is that we're going home to Spurs and Mourinho, so that'll be a bit tasty. Nice Champions League tie away, which you then come in home to afterwards, which is always the preferred way to, to, to play it. Um, and then, like I said, hopefully carry it into Bournemouth and then, and then Leicester and, and just actual big, exciting matches. Which is, And also part of this season has been, for me, and you have to keep reminding myself, it's also seeing who's actually worth backing, including the manager. Is Abraham worth it? Because what we're going to have is, now that the ban is lifted, we're going to have a lot of money because we sold £120 million last year um, and then some. We're going to have obvious holes in our squad. So I've said it before, and if you are Jaden Sancho and you're looking for a new club and Willian goes, there's a, there's a spot right there for you with a manager who's playing young English players. Doesn't mean end up I mean there's no fact in that. It's just if you want to be logical, then that's what this project this season can provide is the gaps of what where was if you were a keeper, if you're you no know, if Kante does look like can there's talk of Kante leaving, that means the centre mids. There's 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 obvious gaps which we can then fill with a lot of money and all the rest of it. So it's not I, the worst. I know this feels like an interrogation. <laughs> yeah. The swinging light bulb well, doesn't help. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is there a world in which Arizabalaga goes in the summer? Because I, 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 I don't quite get with him. I can see what he's got and I can see why he was popular in Spain. Mm. But I don't quite see him improving in the Premier League, especially in a team that sets up the way that you set up. And then you look at the other side of it, you've got a really, really promising young goalkeeper at Sheffield United who will be leaving Man United in the mm. summer, who to me would seem to be there's not basically I, I can yeah. see Spurs and Chelsea both wanting a new keeper in the summer. Yeah, and I, and I, without without going a little bit Brexit, is you can imagine Lampard getting a, a, a 
a collection of young British talent and, and having that an English talent if you want to go one step further. And part of me thought he rested Kepa because it's quite obvious that he's the long-term keeper and you don't need to rush him back. You'd rather he didn't play this season, had a great Euros of Spain and next season was, was a new a new start because he's a big investment he's in his 20s. But the flip side is, actually, is he just not good enough? Lampard doesn't like him and so he's just plugging to shift him either back to Spain or at other, others. obviously he's still an impressive keeper and I think his, his reputation on the continent won't have dropped a great deal and he will probably play for Spain in the summer and probably look a lot better. Um, and then again, that's where the, the interesting thing of the transfer kitty and the gaps come into play because you are Dean Anderson and you are thinking, well, I can go and stand behind Harry Maguire and not see the sun. He's, he's not going to go back to Man United. Or, or, or exactly, or I can go and go and play for Chelsea and have a completely brand new life. Obviously, moving to London, it always it's it's a really daft thing to say because I don't like the place and I prefer Liverpool and the North. But it's definitely a factor in loads of signings that you can come and live in London. Um, yeah. So I think that if you like I said that's where that's where this season if you want to be at the beginning I was saying at worst I'll I'll know the gaps we'll know if Hudson Odoi was worth that contract we'll know so on and so forth and yeah uh, completely agree uh, Tottenham um, feel hard to find themselves in a situation where they're drop, dropping like flies uh, and the manager is being himself uh, which is to be very very frank about his squad uh, to the point of downright insulting um, and is very much doing what I'm meant to do with these bums at the moment. That will change if he starts doing things with these bums. It'll become, look what I've done with these bums. But that is his uh, attitude and outlook. Exactly, yeah. I think if he does get a result this weekend, it's all about him, isn't it? Pulling off the result rather than the group of players he has. And look, we've seen it We've seen it with him time and time again, haven't we? He's kind of already one step ahead. Um throwing in the mind games, I guess, if you want to call it that, early on. And and yeah, this time he does really have issues. I think it's pretty clear it to see. He does have profound issues, yeah. doesn't he? But he is also the, he is also the gobshite who cried wolf. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Mitch changed his issues now on the pitch as well as just <laughs> in his hotel room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think the new haircut doesn't help either. It makes him look even more like a moaning kind of old man almost. Yeah. It's 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 one Josh where I'm just I'm just surprised it almost got to the point that it's got to where they're so light Tottenham and I do think that this is part of it was part of the of Pochettino's general issue general question which is that we just don't feel like we've got enough players Mourinho's not going to turn to Troy Parrott under any circumstances um, he's got no interest in that sort of carry on I'd be absolutely amazed if Troy Parrott gets near it anytime soon uh, he will instead just try to make do amend and then and try to kill every single game maybe play through the lines a little bit more, which was a piece I read today, but that's what we're going to get from him. It's interesting though, isn't it? Because you can you can almost make it comparable to Chelsea's situation and, and the, the sort of the, the blood none of their youngsters because it, it felt like at the start of the season, Chelsea just sort of threw all them in at once and goes goes to the fans, well, this, this is what you wanted for so long. You wanted to see these, <laughs> you these want young them, players You've got come. them. Yes, yeah, so you can have all of them now. So I, I wonder whether Tottenham should just get to a stage where, where they just sort of do that. They go, look, we've got loads of injuries. We've got a few lads who, who are sort of on the way out. If you, if you look at Ericsson and maybe Vertonghen and, and, and the likes of them, obviously Ericsson's already gone now but um, a few of them players who, who may be moving on and they just say look we'll be, bring a few through the young lads through them because that Tank Angry who played against us he, he he looks like he's sort of settled into their squad now and things like that so I do just wonder whether and Mourinho's not going to be the manager to do it he, he, he never sort of would be but I wonder whether Tottenham will benefit from a situation where it's a manager who's got a bit of a project a manager who's a bit younger will spend a bit more time at the club will, will not just live in a hotel room might actually settle into the to the area he's living in and things like that and, and, and you know blood in them youngsters and, and sort of give Tottenham fans a bit of that excitement because that's what it feels like they're missing it feels like they spent so long un, under the Pochettino project that it sort of lost some of its excitement and some of its purpose almost uh, they are missing that Josh but what I would say is that if you, Mourinho comes 
coming into this game at the weekend, the one thing you don't want to do is lose. Uh, you're looking at the table and you can make all the noises you want, but realistically, your worst case scenario if you get a point is that you're one point off fourth. And that is, that will do for now. You probably retain your position in fifth. Uh, and I think that this, the way in which this will finish, whether it's top four or top five, will come down to a lot of sides that basically who can who can navigate their way through the rest of a really inconsistent season best. I think Mourinho will probably back himself at that with a full squad, but I think he'll probably back himself at it anyway. I think he'd back himself going into this game because he he knows how he can set up his teams and, and I think he knows that Chelsea are, are almost a one-dimensional team. They're, they're not a team who sort of tend to change their shape or their style. They've only got one real way of playing under Frank Lampard and Reno will look at his side and think, well, actually, there's a few different ways I've got to play in here and look, it's not it's not my ideal solution. It's not going to win us every game. But you mentioned that Tottenham are dropping like flies, but actually their recent league results aren't, aren't really that bad going into mm. this. So I think Mourinho would go into it with confidence. He, he'd sort of know that he can, he can sort of drum that crowd up into a friend as well because it's a derby and because of his sort of past with Chelsea and things like that so I think this has got all the makings of, of almost one of them Mourinho classics in a way I think um, I think it's interesting because I think one thing Lampard's done is he's changed it a lot in the middle of games quite like irrationally and I wouldn't be surprised if this is the week when he changes it from the off and goes for like two up top and tries to surprise Mourinho because it's one of them things where he'll be expecting Mourinho to surprise him and it's going to be one of those really weird like stakeout almost like <laughs> But at the same time, it could be quite a sort of flaccid affair, a bit like table football without the final bar, because it, just, it could just be a really nitty gritty, grubby nil nil. Um, I think if I take my bias away from it, I think it's Mourinho's to lose. I think he really is probably going into this thinking he, he, he'll get in the faces. He might even, like you said, draft in a few of his own young players, but I think it will be an aggressive it'll be style of a, of, a, of a substance and that style will be kick him and shout, him <laughs> and shout at them. Wasn't Jose a little bit snooty about Lampard as well? Yeah, they're ending because obviously Lampard then signed for New York City and then went on loan to Man City and um, I don't think they ended on as good a terms as him and tunnel hogger John Terry um, <laughs> ended on. Um, and I think also Lampard has quite clearly said that there's a lot of Chelsea players who no longer play for Chelsea and are now winning lots of titles, not going to mention any, and now winning loads of titles and Champions Leagues for other clubs and most of those left under Mourinho. And I think Lampard would have much rather have had a midfield of De Bruyne, Salah and Lukaku to deal with. <laughs> uh, all, all very, very valid. Uh, give me a prediction for what first. I think it's going to be a nil-nil. Nil-nil? After, after hearing that. Yeah. Yeah, no, 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 no. I'm going to go one nil Tottenham. One nil Tottenham. Yeah, probably one nil Tottenham. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, I'm going uh, Olivier Giroud to make the difference, uh, which does nobody any favours. Uh, Late top off celebration. <laughs> yeah, top off yes. celebration. Eighty third minutes. Olivier Giroud either either one nil or two one for Chelsea, yeah. uh, looking absolutely fantastic, and both oh. managers have their heads in their hands. Uh, we will move over to talk to Emily Broben about Manchester City right now. Joined by Emily Broben to talk about Manchester City. We'll start off talking about the game against West Ham United, move into a little bit of a peel-based chat and then shift ourselves over to looking ahead to Leicester. It actually felt like uh, a bit of a night where Manchester City wanted to play some football, to be honest with you. Emily wanted to just sort of not think about all the other stuff. Uh, you could see it in Guardiola constantly urging them on on the sidelines. They were determined to, to knock the ball about and, and just play, I think. Is that fair? Yeah, completely. And I think it was um, a really good game to get ourselves back into it because we haven't played for a while. Obviously, that game was the rearranged fixture. Um, but 
credit to West Ham in the first half, they really defended really well um, and they thwarted a lot of everything that we threw at them. Uh, Declan Rice, obviously, for me, he was their outstanding player and what a talent he is. And um, he'll surely be looking to move on if they get relegated. I like West Ham, got a lot of respect for them and um, and the fans. Um, they did pretty well in the first half, but it, it did seem quite um quite a stroll for us in the end i don't i don't think i'm i'm wrong in saying that it's one where you know again the you forget that every now and again and i think he's played especially well at home this season the sheer quality is a bruiner he's mm. he's you know when he when he switches it on he's, he's he's one of the best players in the country if not the best player in the country he just absolutely can can do anything he needs to with the ball in, with reference to forwards. On the other hand, there will be a bit of frustration, I think, from the manager that he's us as a little blunt at the moment in front of goal because when he's got players like De Bruyne behind him, he gets so many opportunities to stick the ball in the back of the net. Yeah, and I've been speaking about this today on, on Twitter with a few people with um, Jesus. Big fan of his. And I think the problem with Jesus is that he struggles because Aguero is just so good. Um, a lot of people tend to, a lot of City fans tend to compare him to Aguero, which I know isn't fair. Um, his positioning, his movements, he finds all the right positions. He gets himself right in, right in the right spot in front of goal uh, and he'll miss. Now, if that's Aguero, you think he'll bury that every time. And that's the problem that we have because he, he gets himself, he finds the space. He works so hard. He's done all the hard work. And last night, yeah, he, he just there was a few misses where you're thinking, oh, that was Serge, you'd be burying it. Um, so he's kind of up against it in that respect. But he's very much a confidence player as well. When he's confident, he flies and he just bangs them in fun. Um, his head tends to drop. And I do think that he feels the weight of having Aguero um, next to him sometimes. And I think he struggled last night. I think we saw that. Is there something around the the question on um, on on De Bruyne that this season he's come back in he's come back in really really strong? Has he disrupted a couple of other City players or is this just a little bit of nonsense? You know, I've, I don't think, for instance, for the last three months Sterling's been the player he was prior to the injury. I don't think that uh, Bernardo Silva in particular has had anywhere near the season he had last season where I thought he actually had a really good shout to be Player of the Year. Full stop. But De Bruyne has been tremendous. Do you think it's knocked those players out of rhythm or do you think that would have just happened anyway? because they put so much into the last the, the last 18 months. Yeah, um, De Bruyne, I didn't think, had his best game as well last night um, and he was man of the match. So that just tells you that the standard that De Bruyne is competing with, with himself. Um, Sterling, totally agree. Um, since everything that happened with the England saga, he has not been the same player. I'm not blaming that, but it just seems coincidental that since that incident, he we've just not seen anything like the standard that he himself again has set himself, which is a shame because I'm a massive fan of Sterling and um, he's just been phenomenal for City. Um, but I'm not going to bail out on him. I'm not like that. I'm just going to keep persisting. Pep's been doing that as well, where other City fans have been scratching their heads and saying, why is he persisting so much with Sterling? You know, he needs a break. Well, at the moment, he's kind of got a break unwillingly with his hamstring injury, but hopefully he'll come back and we might see a bit of form. And Bernardo, again, yeah, last season, completely phenomenal. Um, and then since then, we've seen a, a bit of a drop from him. But Bernardo's admitted he's come out and said we're not at the same standard this season. Um, and he thinks that 
it has taken its toll on them physically and mentally the past couple of seasons, particularly last season, and how fraught that title race was. Maybe it should, maybe it shouldn't, but they are only human at the end of the day. Um, but, I mean, oh, you guys have just been phenomenal this season. and um, We've been inconsistent, you've just got to be honest. Uh, the other big thing that's broken since, uh, well, since since we lasted this show, full stop, really, is the the thing around the band. Now we've 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 dealt with it in a couple of different ways. The first question really is whether or not, and you know, almost on a spiritual level, whether or not Manchester City supporters feel that there should be rules around spending. Uh, last night there was the chance of we'll spend what we want. Is that a? I mean, genuinely, I think that you know, to almost before getting into, or even if we do get into the specifics of this, do you think, and do you think that Manchester City supporters think there should be limits on spending, or that there shouldn't be? I think the frustrating thing, from my point of view, is that clubs have always spent what they've wanted before FFP came in. So you've had all the successes with Liverpool, with United. You know, Blackburn won the league that year with Jack Walker. I know that's on a smaller scale. Leicester, um, Chelsea, Abramovich, the amount he spent is phenomenal. And um, everything that those clubs spent before FFP, you know, that's all well and good. And they've won the silverware and the trophies and been lauded with praise. And then, you know, the rules have come in. And I I understand that rules are rules, but I think the the part that frustrates City fans the most, and I don't want to come across as bleating or moaning because I'm not um, in any way, shape or form. I just think the fact that UEFA have been the judge and jury and executioner in all of it, we just wanted a little bit of impartiality. And the news coming out today about the um, the UEFA, uh, one of the UEFA... Yeah, the FFP panel. ...who is involved in directly in the FFP panel being charged with bribery tells you everything you need to know and everything we have always suspected about UEFA and everything that City have hinted at without saying the corrupt word um, in their statement that they released immediately after the news breaking about our punishment. We just want a fair trial of it. If we're guilty, I'll hold my hands up and say, you know what, we'll take it. We'll take it on the chin. We move on. But I would like to just see a little bit of uh, balance and impartiality with the appeal. And I'd like to see what comes out from that because, you know, hopefully we'll have the answers. I mean, the the fact is that we're all football fans at the end of the day. We've chosen to to support a football club. We don't choose who the owners are. You know, I was there when Peter Swales was the owner of the club. I was there, Francis Lee, Mm -hmm. Bernstein, Wardle, all the way through. And we, we support a football club for the football club. Do you think the th- owners come and go and we just we're getting a lot of stickers football as city fans and I don't just don't think that's really fair. We're just football fans at the end of the day. Do you think there's there's an issue around so for me the key question here and it it, it strikes at FIFA, it strikes at UEFA. I would argue it almost strikes at the FA as well and I think that that's my philosophical question is almost when the competitions become the enormous draw that they are and the amount of money that sloshes around it's the point at which you cease to be a organisation that basically schedules the games. I mean, does some other stuff, sets the rules, all of that sort of stuff, which UEFA do do. Uh, you know, you set the rules, clubs then sign up to them. But almost that there's, the, it feels as though there's got to be a regulatory authority around European football, for instance. Now, the question then becomes whether or not 
you can begin to phrase an argument that UEFA are too involved in European football to almost be a regulatory authority mm-hmm. because of the money. And that's that's but I think that, that goes yeah. that that but that's right that that goes to the Premier League, that goes to the FA, that goes to FIFA. And I just think that the whole thing my perception of it is just the whole thing becomes this remarkably complex thing, not least because of the money, but also because everybody seems to have skin in the game. Yeah, completely. And money talks and money is 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 key and king. And I mean, the the smaller clubs should be in favour of what's going on and what City are trying to fight against because, you know, it, it just seems like the only way of breaking through is money and of course is it's a business you have to speculate to accumulate you have to buy the top players to be able to even entertain on 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 the bigger scale um what just makes me a little bit upset is the reaction of other fans uh it just leaves a really bitter taste in the mouth and i just think that i i I just feel like we're just a bit unfairly done by but yeah yeah how are any other clubs ever going to compete really on that scale if you don't spend money and you don't have those players to be able to get into the Champions but League? The flip side for me, though, Emily, then becomes, there's then a, when I say about the crisis of football governance, I, for instance, don't think, and this is a personal view, obviously, but I don't mm. think that representatives of sovereign states should effectively de facto be able to buy football clubs. And that's so. This and this is where, when you get into the governance, and this is why for me this doesn't just strike this like like most things do in football, most things do in life. This goes back mm-hmm. like four stages because I'm more than happy to say that, for instance, if a Jack Walker emerges at Doncaster, you can make an argument that he's a local guy made good who wants to build up Doncaster Rovers into into something. But when you've got the absolute power of a of of, of an enormous petro state, you can make an argument that the FA should be saying we can't let you run a football club. Because it'll skew competition to such an extent, and this is where you know, for me, all of this stuff's worth you know, just getting it all out on the table and talking it all through. Because that's yeah, the problem, yeah. as far as I'm concerned, is you know, you will you will end up in a crisis of football governance because it can't be come down to whether or, fo- European football can't be defined yeah. by whether or not Qatar or the UAE want to put more money in. I I completely understand that, but I mean, look at the signings that United have made in in recent times, and to a certain extent Liverpool as well, but United, some of the signings and the money that they've spent has been absolutely colossal, Um, and they're in the Europa League. So, I mean, it doesn't actually necessarily define success. City's owners have actually invested so much in the local area, regenerating the area as well. you know, they do a lot. They spend a lot of the money for good as well off the pitch. And they've obviously had to rein it in to a certain extent on the pitch. The Cancelo um, signing, for example, that was um, partly funded by the the um, exchange with Danilo. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's an inflated figure because Danilo was involved as well. You know, so there is counter arguments all around. And, and like I say, United have spent a phenomenal amount and some would say wasted a lot of money on, for example, Alexis Sanchez. And it's not necessarily bought them success, but it's what you do with your money that counts. Um, it's a rumbling argument that will go on and on. And I don't really know what the answer is right now. I don't see a way out. Um, it's actually a, a little bit depressing. Of not, course. Not the... depressing being a City fan, but um, yeah, you just. It's not what you want to go to like football we're getting, for. We're getting pelters at the moment. And all I want to do is just go and watch my football team who I've supported through thick and thin, through all the divisions, relegations, promotions, the lot. I'll be at Wembley next week. I don't care how many City fans are there. I was there last night. People are more interested in counting empty seats. And I, I couldn't give a stuff about any of that. I'm there to watch my football team play football. And that's all I want at the end of the day. All of this whirlwind at the moment is just stifling it all. 
Um, moving on then to the next game, which should be an absolute belt. I can't wait for it myself. Leicester City versus Manchester City. Leicester uh, played very, very well in the two games against Man City last season. Uh, I would argue that Manchester City showed they'd learned a thing or two of that from the game at the Etihad, uh, where I thought they were comfortably the better side. It's one where it's probably not going to define either Manchester City or Leicester's season at this stage, the outcome in that I, I, I would broadly speak and expect City to come second, Leicester to come third, even if Leicester win at the weekend. But it, this is an, another opportunity to focus in on the football. It could well be a really, really good game. Yes, really tasty game coming up. And, um, you know, it's quite interesting, the game at the Etihad, because they took the lead. Jamie Vardy absolutely loved scoring against us, uh, scores hat-tricks against us, but... Um, the, the goal that he scored against us was um, quite typical of and summed up all our problems and where we struggled this season. A breakaway, our defence floundering and, and bang in its 1-0. But obviously we did come back and we and we won quite comfortably in the end 3-1. Um, we struggle at the King Power. We um, have had a couple of defeats there recently. We haven't got a good track record there. But we need some kind of momentum now moving forward. We've got the players, you know, I think Sterling is the only player who is out. Sane is touch and go at the moment. He could maybe feature on the bench. And, you know, it's interesting what will happen with him moving forward with all the Bayern rumblings and and whether he'll leave eventually. But it would be nice to see him back playing. We've got the players, haven't we? Um, And it will be a thoroughly entertaining game. And yeah, for us, it's just about building momentum and getting a bit of that courage back. And we've not really seen that real energy and zip and vitality from City this season. I think the Burnley away game was yep. the only game where I... Scared really the life thought, out of me. <laughs> yeah, this, that City of last season that we, we were watching week in, week out, we just looked a bit pedestrian and jaded. Um, we know what we're fully capable of um, on the day. It's just whether, you know, what happens, we're very inconsistent and we don't really know what to expect at the moment. But that's the difference with you guys. And you've got to hold your hands up. Thoroughly consistent, absolutely astonishing football you guys have played this season. And it's no less than you deserve. And and actually, if I was you guys, we were in that position a couple of seasons ago where we were runaway leaders and we were singing mind the gap every week (laughs) and i'd be singing it from the rafters if i were you guys and i'd be milking it and enjoying every minute because it's no less than you guys deserve um very very quickly just give me a score prediction for the weekend's game oh i'm gonna be brave i i've got to go with a city win but it's it's heart versus head it's the heart calling the win and the head almost doubting it and saying you never know what could happen but I'll go with a 2-1 City and hope for the best Excellent stuff thank you very much Emily let's move back over Good to speak to Emily there uh, and tease out some of the over overarching uh, themes that are going on in Manchester City's psyches one of the things that should be going on in Leicester's psyche Josh is they find themselves in a position where they've only won one of the last five uh, which was against West Ham so it barely counts uh, and they have no chowdhury because he picked up a really daft uh, red card against Wolves indeed he will be out as well and the, indeed he will indeed he will yes and <laughs> in we find ourselves in this situation where a squad that is, hasn't quite been paper thin but has, has been able to focus in on games due to no European distractions actually finds where it is a tiny little bit thin being exposed it's a, sort of almost like the classic Brendan Rodgers problem really isn't it he's, he's found himself with a team with, with a sort of you know a, a good bunch of players and a few really talented players in it as well but it's, but it's not enough for a squad to sort of 
maintain this challenge and it's almost lucky in terms of what we were discussing in the first part where so many of them teams who are, who are competing for the top four have been so bad over the course of the season that Leicester have just managed to find themselves just just quite so far ahead so it's interesting sort of going into going in and looking ahead to this one because if you're a Liverpool fan you, you're sort of hoping that Leicester can, can get something because you don't expect them to sustain the challenge that, that Man City will over the next few games before Liverpool do inevitably win it but but they've been so bad recently that you almost you don't expect them to and you look at their recent record against Man City and stuff and it doesn't fill you with any more confidence at all so it's it's it's, it's almost worse when you hear the circumstance going into it the child rears ban that indeed is out and things like that because it just you just know that then Leicester have got more of an uphill struggle going into this game it, they've got a few options and he can go with Tielemans and Madison uh, he's already mentioned in the press conference that he's done today uh, that Matty James might be under consideration uh, but he has no Premier League start in almost two years and his name's Matty James <laughs> uh, we find ourselves in a situation where he could go through at the back like I say he's brought in Bennett from Wolves who's got experience he's got Fuchs who he's played on the left hand side or he go and if he does that he ends up just with Tielemans and Madison as a centre midfield too my point is here, yeah, I can't work out whether or not Manchester City are the sort of team it's actually acceptable to be really lightweight in midfield against or the team you really don't want to be lightweight in midfield against what do you think it is? Well he's missing some wonderful technicians isn't he? Um no, I really fancy Leicester, you know. Uh, and I'll tell you why, because they're just exactly the team that have been that, that have been beating City and tripping, tripping City up all summer. Just they, 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 They've been a basket case City. They're either really, really good or getting themselves into all kinds of bother. Uh, I think it's just one of them where if, if they can... I, I, I've seen Schmeichel's been bullish about it today on the BBC, funny enough. Yeah. Um, if they can keep them out for 10-15, City will start doing their own heads in. And then you look at play... It, it just screams like... It, it's mad because you can't predict these things, but if you, you know, you said a narrative coming, and it, you mentioned James Madison, yeah, and it just screams of a game that Madison will do something ridiculous there's, there's, and look really good in. There's some parts of my, my the Man City question slash Leicester questionnaire is that you can almost make an argument because it'd mostly be Wolf and Deedy running around not quite getting to the ball anyway, Chris. You might Indeed as well. You might as well, thank you very much. You might as I mean, honestly, we'll flog that one to death. You might as well have a situation where almost play Madison at the base of midfield and say, well, you'll, you'll look after it. You'll keep it, you'll pass it well, you'll go round someone, you'll be able to hold it up when we need you. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. mad, it seems almost counterintuitive. Yeah, but, yeah, you could, think, but if you did it tactically, you go, that's interesting. Yeah, completely. I think uh, City are now that side where last season you were worrying about <clears throat> about them, what they can do. Now you saw more, like Andy said, thinking about what they what they maybe can't do. And I don't really like James Madison. I think I don't like him because this is exactly the sort of game and he's amazing because he's absolutely Hollywood, isn't he? He's blockbuster. I just think this is, like you said, the sort of game when you could sit him in that position and he'll have that memorable performance at home to City and he'll pull strings and run the show and Rodri will be spinning and so on and so forth. It's also the sort of game when you could, a bit like the Wolves away, where you could see like an early red card for City Smith daft or whatever. And I just think it's, it could be calamitous. But at the same time, I don't think Leicester are actually as good as they are appearing to be in the first half. I think Rodgers is quite a stubborn manager too. I don't think he'd do anything quite like we've flirted with the idea of him doing. I think he'll probably just try and carry on doing what he thinks they do well. And whether City will get frustrated as little as 10 or 15, I'm not I'm not sure. But it, 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 it'd be interesting to see if he does completely mix it up because that would be that would be the match you want to see. So the, the funny thing with Rodgers is, and we know from Liverpool, and this can work for him or mm. absolutely horrifically against them. When he thinks he's on telly, he's kind of like a referee when they're on yeah, the telly, they yeah, change yeah, yeah. it up. With it being a big game, he has got form for doing something completely fucking batshit. Mm. Like, like you look at it and go, I have no idea what. And then you go, oh, that was brilliant. 
Yeah, completely. And then other times you're like, but you know, that, that's exactly as mental as what I thought it was going to be. But you can see him three at the back, getting Cup, getting Pereira and Chilwell to sort of do, do your doggies, do your lines. Don't worry too much about tracking back and then just having Tielemans and Madison in there behind like Harvey Barnes and Vardy just sort of like punishing as best they can. And that that would be that would be pretty. I wouldn't, is, yeah. They'll be shit scared of Hardy City. We'll and I think shit. I think Harvey Barnes is quite. I was about to say Harvey Barnes is absolutely wartime striker. He just <laughs> he just looks like scores against City. Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 he can score all kinds of goals against Man City. Yeah. Harvey Barnes. I actually I think City will win the game, but it wouldn't surprise me if it's mad and if mm. it's like something like four three or something mm. like that because of everything that's going on throughout. Uh, you know, there's a number of, of good Leicester players on the pitch who all look as though they've got a goal in them. Ricardo scored against City before, and if he is released further up the pitch, he's dangerous. He's a terrific footballer. Vardy in there, Barnes in there. It looks to me like Leicester can score. It's just how much they can keep City out. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. So, you know, as soon as you mentioned the Madison Tealman's midfield two, that that got me worried. <laughs> I was confident before I heard that, and I think I think that's the sort of stage you're at with them. You know, I think the game in a sense comes at a good time because. It's, it, the whole kind of Leicester novelty's worn off a little bit, hasn't it? With the with the recent run of results, the ex- same expectation isn't there. They're kind of a little bit human again, a bit more towards their level, and I think that might do them a little bit of a favour because they're going to go into this. You know, City are riled up from everything that's been happening. You, you know, you see what how the players have been coming out and speaking, how the managers have been coming out and speaking, and you know, regardless of what anyone says, that's going to be in their heads. I think whether it's the league or Champions League. So I think you know this is one where Brendan going you know, to pull something out the bag. I think a lot of it does depend on on whoever's at that base of the midfield for Leicester. I think if they have a good game, you, you, you're more than confident with the, with the attacking options they've got to uh, for them to go and score a couple goals. And and yeah, that first 15 minutes, if if it is kept quiet, City do get frustrated. There's no reason why Vardy doesn't nick one, you know, the end of the first half, and and that's it, one 0 <laughs> Yeah, I love Brendan Rodgers, but this just just feels like one of them sort of stereotypical Brendan Rodgers games where Leicester are almost set up for this heroic failure. It, it feels like you can build Leicester up going into this, you can, you can sort of play Manchester City down, but throughout talks back there, if it, if it ends up being a Madison Tielemans midfielder, I'm, if I'm Kevin De Bruyne going into that, I'm going, fucking hell, lads, I'm going to have a field day here. Yeah. I'll be having shots from 40, shots from 35. Be shots pinging, of tequila. Yeah. <laughs> pinging ones off the bar and post left, right and centre. It just it just sort of sounds like a like a Manchester City field day to me. I'm, I'm genuinely quite concerned for Leicester to be honest okay uh, move ourselves along Burnley versus Bournemouth uh, Crystal Palace versus uh, Newcastle uh, Sheffield United versus Brighton and Hove Albion Southampton versus Aston Villa all look pretty turgid this weekend there doesn't feel like quite feel like there's enough in any of them uh, to be classic relegation-y sort of things although if Sheffield United win they could well end the day in fourth let alone the idea of ending the day in uh, fifth um Manchester United Watford then uh, well come on I've got speaking to Anne Shaw in a minute or two uh, but United uh, they play tonight against Club Bruges so we've got to sort of shrug that one off uh, Watford are the sort of team uh, Josh who Manchester United probably can't be bothered with uh, at this stage they really struggled with sides who sit in uh, against them at home and can break on them relatively quickly and do it that way around United's success against the top sort of 10 has been really really good bottom 10 has been really really poor but Watford could really do with three points yeah, and I think Watford are, are, are a side who are capable of making the game very dogged, and I think that's that's something that this Manchester United side don't like. It's it's something that they're good at themselves, is sort of getting into a team who've got a bit more class than them and, and sort of putting one up them. But Watford, are, Watford are probably a, a, you know a step ahead of Manchester United in that they've got a few players who who are sort of almost you, you 
your stereotypical Premier League yard dogs who've got a bit of that technique about them. And there's a few few of them lads now who who you look at, and they they sort of take a real fancy against it against a team like Manchester United. So I think going into this, Watford will have confidence. I know their, their recent results haven't been that great, but Manchester United are, are, are just are here, there, and everywhere side, aren't they? They can they can either win gloriously or lose spectacularly, or, or come up with some really really boring way of of just about winning or drawing. So. Okay, spoke to Anne Shaw from United We Stand earlier on. Joined by Anne Shaw from United We Stand uh, to have a chat about Manchester United. And where they are at the moment, I would have called this before the game against Club Bruges. Um, so in general, we'll obviously have to gloss over that to a degree. But it's a tough away game. Uh, and, and it does feel as though there's now three ways into the into the Champions League next season for Manchester United. One is to win the Europa League. One is to come fourth, and one is to come fifth, and hope that Manchester City's appeal at CAS fails. It's uh, it's become a bit of a strange situation, but all three of those things do actually feel very possible. Yeah, definitely. And um, with the Europa League, I'd say is our most important. Uh, I'm sorry, the most probable. Um, I still don't think that we'll. Um, I definitely don't think we'll get fourth. Um, fifth's a possibility, but I'd say only due to. Uh, Mourinho and Tottenham's injuries at the moment because they have got a very easy running if you have a look at it on paper. Um, in comparison, United have still got a fair few really difficult games to play against um, the top 10. But funnily enough, that's normally who, who we play well against. Well, it is. I mean, I, I saw the game against Chelsea on uh, on Monday night and the, the the way this side just seems to find it so much easier to, to play in games like that than games against the bottom half still remains not a mystery as such in that you know it doesn't take a lot to to analyze it and work out why but it's not what you're used to seeing from Manchester United and it's also just not what you're in general used to seeing from any side in the top six to eight how much the struggle is on one hand and how 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 more straightforward those games are on the other no definitely not and I don't think I've seen such extremes in a team in the Premier League um, for quite a long time so I, I think the way we're doing it at the moment is um those teams tend to come onto us a bit more and open up a bit at the back, so it helps us out. With Fernandez now, I think the hope is that he can help unlock a few defences that defend deep against us. But at the same time, I bring it back to you know what I've been saying all season. I think we're really daft to um, sell a penalty box striker without bringing one in. We've brought in a Galo now, which is just it all feels a bit left field, all feels a bit crackers. Is this does the Agalo thing I mean listen, it's better to have someone than not a lot of the time and it's only for a few months, but does the Agalo thing sort of make United supporters worry about the running of the club? Because it's mad that that's, that's where Manchester United ended up looking in January. Yeah, I, th- I think you, you've got to start worrying about it, but at the same time, I have been quite um, impressed with how we've identified signings and rather than going buying somebody for the sake of it, we have actually took our time and got the right person. And, you know, I, I seem to remember when um, Liverpool had Klopp for a while at, at first, they got Stephen Colker, was it? Yeah. That's a good comparison. A loan deal. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, sometimes you just need a body in, and United are that short. But that, that, you know, that's sort of what I've been complaining about all season. You know, I don't have an issue with who we're buying and the time we're taking to buy them. What I do have an issue is, is like, we sold, I think, about 160 appearances um, last season in Small, in Herrera, Fellaini and Lukaku. So, you know, we could have done with slowing that down a bit, slowing down the exodus if we were going to take our time in with signing players. It's the other thing that's come out uh, last couple, last day or so is the, the Rashford idea that he may also be out for, for longer than was first thought. I mean, it's still now in hindsight the decision to bring him on 
against Wolves in the context of everything you're saying, everything you describe it here, in the context of the fact that there was a wider injury that's now being reported on. It does seem a little bit crackers. I think United obviously wanted to get through in the FA Cup that night, and that makes absolute sense to me. Wolves are a tough, tough opponent. It's not like playing Shrewsbury or anything like that. But in hindsight, now to to have risked that and and have, have it go so badly wrong just feels feels expensive. And it's exactly that, isn't it? It's hindsight because you know I, I imagine most Premier League managers risk players at certain points. United were in a situation where they needed to get through to the FA. You know, we're not in a position where we can start turning our nose up at cup competition yeah. so we're in a position where we needed to get through and you know he, he could have come on for half an hour and it'd been an un, completely uneventful half an hour but as it happened he twisted quite awkwardly and um, you know he ends up out for the season but you know he, that could happen even if he didn't have an injury <clears throat> before he came on Is there um, in general with Fernandez? is haven't caught his early couple of appearances hits the most against Chelsea for instance he looks I mean he looks direct he looks like he's going to have he's going to have a dig but you mentioned before about him also breaking, breaking, breaking sides down. He puts the ball in for the corner that uh, Maguire nods home as well. That can make a difference, can't it? Really, set piece delivery and just a tiny little bit of creativity in the final third. Yeah, I think we've only seen glimpses at the moment. But what I've been impressive as well is he's not hiding either. And um, you know, there's a lot of games where you watch Pogba play for United, and you know he, he does hide in certain situations, especially when the team is behind. You know, you can have all the talent in the world, but you know, if, if you if you're not willing to roll your sleeves up when when the team needs you to, then you're a, you're a bit useless, to be honest. There's certain players who are really bad when the team goes behind, and I, I think Pogba's one of them. And um, you know, I, I used to really admire the way um, Gerard used to drag a poor Liverpool team forward. And you know, I, would, I I don't think that Gerard is one of the best players I've, I've ever seen in the Premier League, but at the same time, he's definitely one of the most effective because he just had that attitude, whereas Pogba's completely the opposite and United are trying to not buy players like that anymore. Is there... Other thing is the players who come to the fore in, in the absence of, well, number of fit bodies, to a, in a sense. I've been really impressed whenever I've caught United this season. That also includes in Anfield. Uh, the the 2-0 earlier in the season. I've been really... I was impressed with Fred. I think he's... It seems to me as though he's he's finally found his sort of sea legs for Manchester United, and and the attitude is a massive massive part of it. I thought he was excellent against Chelsea. Harry's everyone. I thought him and Kovacic were the best sort of duel on the pitch. Both of them played really well. They were the, the two players who I thought had the most quality on the night, but also had the greatest desire. I thought. Yeah, and there's there's sort of a, a few players like that emerging. You know, Harry Maguire. You know, he's, he's made mistakes this year, but he never hides. And this is sort of like a new sort of identity that we're hopefully seeing from United. I mean, with um. Last season, I think that if we'd have kept Jose Mourinho, we might well have finished in the top four this season. But I, I really felt like United were absolutely soulless. You know, I used to watch us and think I didn't enjoy watching us. And this time, although we still have the bad games where we don't turn up in terms of ability, you know, I, I do think that in terms of attitude, we are um, we are getting there. And you can see um, a lot of personalities emerging in the team. I was really impressed how they celebrated the goal the other night, just for example. You know, you can tell it means a lot to them rather than just, you know, Romelu Lukaku or Pogba breezing off to the corner flag or whatever on their own. You know, this is what, this is, I, I see a team spirit emerging now, definitely. 
uh, with that in mind, then Watford, it's interesting, isn't it? Because they need to show the same sort of spirit, the same sort of spirit, so the same sort of love for it, really. Because I think it's it's great to go to Chelsea and stick one on them, but it, you yeah. know, they, they almost need to have that attitude for Watford at home, don't they? On Sunday at two o'clock, do you just firstly do you see them having it, and secondly, do you think they'll um, do you think they'll do the business against Watford? I I I I feel that this could be a big game for United if they win it, then a few things might open up quite quickly. Yeah, and I think um, Watford aren't. A team that I'd, you know, that I'd, I wouldn't call them a Burnley where they, you know, they just sit in and, you know, try and slow the game down. Watford have always been a team that do like to actually try and play football, so I think that might suit us a little bit, and I think we might um, get a win on Sunday. Yeah. Excellent stuff. Uh, thank you very much to answer. Let's get back over. Wolves versus Norwich uh, being the other two o'clock kickoff. Wolves find themselves up against Norwich. Um, they are, well, a rival theoretically at Chelsea, Chris, throughout the rest of the season. But every single time you talk Wolves up, they don't win the game. Uh, every single time you think there's something coming here from a Wolves point of view, they fall. Uh, they've got a Europa League game tonight as well. And at some sort of point, they've got to put the hammer down. Maybe games against Norwich are really, really important for them. But you don't really have any confidence in them that they'll find a way to get the three points. You think it's unlikely they'll lose, but not to get the three points. I agree. I think it's, it's quite surprising how bad Wolves have got at scoring of, of late. <laughs> Um, it's impressive. They still got this conveyor belt of like handsome men. They just seem to like stick in the orange shirt. It's amazing. <laughs> they're just all. They're just all like. It's great. I love it. That side of it's great. But they can't. They, they've. I don't. I used to. I, I like wolves, but I don't know what their identity is at the moment. I feel like they're in a bit of a crisis. A little bit of like, are we? Are we all the eggs in the European sort of mm-hmm. run in the journey? Because they've they've got a couple of mates from uni who are wolves fans, and they've been going everywhere. They've been absolutely loving it. And but at the same time, that top four is still there. There's loads of absolute pish around them. And I think, <clears throat> sorry, I'm upset you. And I think um, Norwich are, 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 are woeful, obviously, and they should be looking for a pretty clean three points. But then they could have a massive result tonight and just be on over. Like, yeah. I don't know. It's it is really strange with them, Josh. They were our, probably arguably our toughest domestic opponents of the season when we went there and won two one. Uh, it very much did feel. I think most of us in the ground feel we all took a draw. I think it's <laughs> fair to say. Uh, and then suddenly, obviously Liverpool make it two one. But it's another example of Wolves to me. You know, there's a lot of draws which should have been wins for them. A number of those uh, defeats probably should have been draws. Liverpool being one, they really to me do look sort of ten points less than they should have. Yeah, it's interesting that we've sort of looked at it as an identity crisis and things like that, because I think if, if you'd have spoke to, you know, many Wolves fans before the season started, they'd have said, you know, just sort of get, get a nice mid-table position in the Premier League, have that run in Europe and sort of really get to enjoy that. But I think they've almost been victims of the fact that everybody above them has, has been so bad up, up until about fourth place, because they've now almost found themselves pretty accidentally in, in this race for the top four when, you know, probably a few weeks or months ago, they wouldn't have actually expected themselves to Do you be think it might point. almost have suited them more to be doing what they did last season, but with Europa League, so we're probably going to come sixth or seventh. I'm with Europa League added. Then it just clarifies that we just focus in on the Europa League now mm. and see where we end up, Josh. Or do you think that they're probably thinking, well, it gives us two bites at this cherry? Because I think you might be right. I think they might actually be happier if it was just finish sixth or seventh. Don't even think about it really, but see if you can win the Europa League. I think so. Yeah, I think they'd, they'd have been probably happier if, if those teams who were above them were just, were just better and, and they were the ones who sort of beat them over the course of the season. Look, I think if you're if you're somebody like a Wolves fan, if you're if you're if you're a fan of a mid-table team, you always want to beat the teams who are who are below you but you maybe don't expect to beat the teams above you and that's what sort of stunts you over the course of a season I think if you'd have given Wolves fans that sort of option for them maybe to finish you know 7th or 8th 
get themselves back in, into the Europa League for next season and, and sort of have this good run at it this season and really get to enjoy that. And then, and then maybe, you know, they go into it with, with the experience of having that a bit more of a bolster squad next season. I think they'd have snapped your hand off for that. Um, Norwich did well against us. You were there for what? Yeah. And they're a tidy side. I think Liverpool deserve to win the game and, and have opportunities. But they're not they're not mugs and they, they won't be going to Molyneux expecting to get to get turned over. I think they'll go into it feeling as though they can get something from the game. And that's that's really interesting by this sort of point. If you're on 18 points and you're 20th, you should possibly be going to Molyneux having given up. But they won't. They'll go there, they'll play their game, they'll feel they can get something. Yeah, exactly. There's a kind of a strange relaxation within their kind of the club, I think, generally with them. And, you know, being being at the ground the other day, you, you could see from the fans, it, there was never really a moment when, you know, that obviously it was all within the context of playing Liverpool, you know, the team that's, that's by, by far the best in the league at the moment and everything. So, yeah, they, they, they didn't get anyone's back. It was all very kind of almost like a bit of a party atmosphere where they had their couple chances and everything. And, and I think it'll almost be the same again going to this. Look, they're, they're 20th with 18 points, but I, there's probably still a little bit of hope in there. I'm sure the manager's still telling them, look, you know, teams have, have been in worse situations and managed to pull it out. There's no you know, no reason why we, we should be giving up so early. So I think they'll be going there, you know, encouraged by Wolves' dip in form. And just on Wolves, actually, I'm not, I'm not too surprised that they've, they've gone through this little patch right now because... You know, the, it's important to remember their season did start at the end of July, didn't it? And, yeah, and the manager has, really has has made sure not to turn that into an excuse, but he, he has made sure that that's that's clear. And I think it's important to remember. And, and you know, like like the, you guys were saying before, it is it's a little bit unfair on them um, to, to kind of have that expectation for them to be going for fourth and and fifth and sixth. They should almost have the season as as the season of enjoying the Europa League, enjoying where it takes them. And and you know, the, the experience they'll get from this. If I was a Wolves fan tonight, you know, they, they play tonight as we're recording this. That's that's a huge game. That's the biggest game you know Wolves have had for God knows how long, and and I think it's important that that sort of remains almost their focus in a sense. And look, whether they win or lose at Norwich, if they get a result tonight, I'm sure they're not really going to be that arsed. Um, there's something else, uh, which is that at some sort of point, the knock-on effect of the small squad will take effect at Wolves. Maybe it is part of what's happened. Maybe it's part of what we're all getting to watch. But they are Thursday to Sunday again. And yeah, these are right Thursdays to Sunday at the start of the season. But it is going to be a little bit difficult, different now, isn't it, uh, for Wolves, Chris? Knockout football does play differently. And um, whilst they've got some experience in that side, as a collective, they still don't really know the reality of, of Europa League Thursdays leading to Premier League Sundays when, when it's all on the line in the last 32, the last 16. Yeah, certainly. And there's a thing about European football, I always think the last 20 minutes feels really long, no matter what the score is. Always that 70s and 90s, I don't know what it is, and I think that's exhausting for, for, for a start. Um, but like last night with Spurs, when they were sort of, that last 20 minutes lasted ages, and there was loads that happened, it was exhausting. And if Wolves go through that tonight, then, like you said, Sunday is, is then a bit of a sleeper off Sunday. But at the same time, I thought at the beginning of the season, a lot of their squad are built to play twice a week. Mm. They've got a lot of players who... Then Donker could just play all the time. Oh yeah, definitely. doesn't sleep. I've heard. And Connor Cody, I don't think <laughs> he'll, he'll just he'll just do his warm down from tonight until Sunday. <laughs> um, and I, th- I think that's that they're set for that. That their their understanding of themselves is a lot higher than our understanding of them. And I don't know if this dip in form is going to be. It will be concerning, but I thought they know they know what they're about. I remember reading a piece when they came up about their sort of 10-year plan and it was detailed, man. It was really like, buy this, buy this. And they're on track for it and they're having a bit of a European fun. And if, if they win it, which isn't unthinkable, if, if it comes to the point where they get a, they get to a semi with a nicer draw and whatever, and you're looking at the teams in there tonight, there's not that same huge team dropped down of the Champions League this year. Inter Milan are probably the, yeah. the, one, the one you'd least fancy drawing. But if you've got them in the final, then you'd, you'd back yourself. And I think looking at, looking at the Premier League, you know what you're going to do with Norwich. Norwich quite an interesting team. I feel like Norwich are one of those teams that are 
know what they're about, know who's going to stick around and know the parachute payments are probably going to help them look at bouncing back up. I don't think someone's going to sweep in for any of the players or the manager. Exception to Campwell. Maybe, but I think Campbell seems to be pretty, he seems to really like his time at Norwich and I don't know if he's looking for that to come to an end in the same way that other players have when they've sort of been been quite clearly on the on the way down. Um, I think, it, it, I don't know if I'll, if, I'll, if I'll look forward to watching it, but... <laughs> I might watch it. It'll happen. <laughs> uh, last last game uh, until we play uh, is Arsenal versus Everton, and it is. It's this, they're just weird. Um, Everton are the same. Uh, yeah, both, yeah like, no, everyone, everyone. This is my point here: is that everyone is weird. Uh, it's the weird derby. Uh, Everton are currently the second most informed team in the league. Uh, won three of the last five. Uh, Brighton one nil. Watford three two. And Palace three one. Um, both are trying to get some form of continental football next season. You'd think that something could appear for them. And again, what happens to Manchester City might have a knock-on effect. Arsenal go to Olympiacos. Uh, so that's going to happen for them as well. But it is, Andy, you know, you're looking at the, you're looking at this one and Arsenal just looks, just look a shadow away from where they should be. Um, Everton, to be fair, they've come to the boil. And the one thing that Everton look like they've got at the minute that maybe Arsenal weirdly haven't is cutting edge. Yeah, um... I mean, it's been a, been a bit of a weird one. Looking at Everton, I think they've been, they managed to get a couple of results there where not, they've not played particularly well. And they've uh, it's games where Marco Silva, had, they had similar performance from Marco Silva, but they've been beaten, whereas under Carlo, they just seem to be sneaking past them. Winning, which is fine. Football's about momentum. But and they were never as bad as everyone thought no, under, under Marco Silva no, as well. No, and at the same time, not, I don't think they're anywhere near as good as what People are making out now. Uh, I know the fifth thing has got them all excited, which means probably going to go on a massive downward spiral as well. Um, I think with Arsenal, what's been kind of refreshing is Arteta's been quite honest about where they are and what they need to do, but also he's had the players backing them up. He didn't really get that sense under Emery where it seems to be Emery was pitching himself against a couple of players and vice versa. And I just think that Arsenal at some point, they're not going to be suddenly become magnificent overnight, but there will be a penny drop performance. And I think against Everton, especially with the tails, because we all know the best time to play Everton, Neil. Is when is when they fancy it. Is when they fancy it a little bit. Um, and this could be it. Um, so, yeah, no, I I, I, um, I think it, it might, might be one of those games where they end up licking the, the wounds a little bit. There's a lot of talk of Everton, uh, as I said before, cutting edge, Josh. But I think one of the things that's worked for them across the last four, five, six games has partially been the opponents, but they've been giving away fewer chances by the late madness against Newcastle. They didn't give much away against Brighton, much away against West Ham, much away against Newcastle when it was the the, the other game, Uh, much away against Watford or much away against Crystal Palace. They've been able to to keep it relatively tight. Arsenal may be a little bit different, but... You know, it's it's. I think that the the working quite well as a unit at the moment, Everton and Rides, it rides and things out. Yeah, and that's interesting because you, you'd sort of say both these teams are, are at an interesting point with both the new managers and that there's parts of their identity which is which are now starting to sort of translate across to their team. So you think about Carlo Ancelotti's sides as sort of having having that solidity sort of down the years, and I think that's where Everton are getting to now is, is sort of having that solidity and being able to to build from that base. And Arsenal have started to bring in some of the exciting things that you you, you imagine that Mikel Arteta was going to bring in, but there's still a few issues to fix there just as just as still a few issues to fix Everton so I think this is one of those games where it, it says on, on, the, on the sort of sheet we've got it was a nil-nil draw at Goodison Park it could genuinely be a game which is another nil-nil and it's drab and it's dull and nobody really wants to watch it and everyone just wants to go and have the Sunday dinner and go to bed but it could be a game where you know there's seven or eight goals it could be a game where it's, where it's sort of all over the place and, and you see these two teams who are trying to establish identities just, just completely slugging it out so I think it's going to be a potentially exciting one to be fair um, Chris it's one where 
as I say, this probably won't have a knock-on effect to Chelsea, although you never know by the end of the season, Everton have got some momentum up. But you just sort of feel as though these are two sides who are maybe just maybe going to end up playing this season out. And therefore, I always think, well, why not enjoy ourselves a little bit more? But I don't know if Sunday will be enjoyable. I don't know if it'll be a real sort of uh, searching of the soul for both sets of both players and supporters. So I agree. Like, I think I agree with most of what you said, that they're, they're, they're both weird. Like they're, they're, It's quite an emo dart. It's like MCR versus Yumi at six. It's two teams that <laughs> like to scream, you don't understand me, stay out of my room at people. Like it's, it, it's two teams that, like you said, want to be on that upward, but actually get much more... Are much more vocal about when it's going a little bit, a little bit south for them, and I think. Oh, Evertonians are very fair when it's shit. Exactly. I mean, they're pretty emo, and Arsenal fans are also pretty emo because everyone thinks this don't you don't understand us. That's why they wear long gloves. It's just odd. They're, they're, <laughs> they're, they're, they're an odd set. They're an odd set of teams, and I think neither team, both both fan base would 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 be looking forward to this, thinking, "Yeah, we're going to absolutely fucking have him." And then neither, and then both will be five 0 down at half time somehow. And they'll both be like, yeah, fucking right. And I, I, but I, I think it's got Richarlison written all over it. I think Richarlison will, will do something because Arsenal defenders hate being bullied. And he's a. Do you think he's the best player on the pitch before it kicks off? I see. I, Given the likely yeah, nature of both sides, I, 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 I also I, I do have a soft spot for a lot of Everton's players at, at current. I, I like him, um, especially him. I think he's he's, mm. he's really he's really decent. He reminds me of a lot of players who Chelsea would have brought in, um, in the past. In that he kind of. He wants to be. He wants to be not liked. Like I used to love just watching Diego Costa all the time because he'd do, just pinch players' asses and sometimes he'd kick him and sometimes it'd be for a joke. Sometimes it'd be like, "No, nah, I don't like you." And I think Richarlison is all elbows and 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 big heads and things like that. And I, I think, yeah, I'd, I'd say in terms of, I'm expecting the most from him when it kicks off. I think it's really interesting this Fuad. You know, the, uh, Arsenal have spent 80 million on Pepe. Um, when there was the link for Richarlison, I think it's the first show I've done since that happened, or certainly where I've got to talk about him. When there was the link for Richarlison from Barcelona and it was 80 million quid and there were loads and loads of uh, snide pricks on the internet all went, fucking hell, that must be wrong. What are Barcelona doing? What are Everton doing? Who's, say, who's got that one wrong, etc., etc. Well, Arsenal bought Pepe. And Richarlison has been a lot better at football than Pepe this season. And Arsenal paid eighty million for Pepe, so I was just left looking at it going. I, honestly, I think that Richarlison is certainly as Chris, as Chris phrases it, the most dangerous footballer on the pitch when Arsenal get, and Everton kick off. And that that's a pitch with Pepe or Bamiyang, whoever the fuck Eddie Nikatia is. <laughs> all of this is, you know, is is for me, Richarlison could be the game's defining force. Definitely, and I, and I think he, he was the one really, you know, even during the the, the last few months of Silver where. You could see that there was still a player there who, who had a little bit of confidence, who had, you know, still had that kind of desire, and I think that's something with him that's been really good, at, you know, throughout his time, even at Watford, he, he'd always had, he, he's always had that edge about him, and and you know, like you mentioned with Diego Costa, it's a different, it's a little bit of a different style of it, isn't it? It's, it's kind of he uses that raw pace, he's got the strength, you know, he's brilliant in the air for for someone I, you know, didn't really expect him to have that in his locker, and and I think you know, just going back to the actual game is quite interesting because I think this was, I think both managers had just sort of announced they were joining the clubs. Um, when they played each other last. So I think that was, you know, that was a, a really dull nil-nil and it was sort of like both teams at the lowest points they possibly could be at. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how that sort of changes now. And, you know, both managers have done well since they're coming in, in kind of balancing the, the fans' the fans' anger beforehand and, and kind of ignoring it as well. They've managed, you know, Arteta's yeah. done well getting the fans on side, but to the point where it's sort of like, you know, the, well, there's one message to the player, there's one message to the fans where it's sort of like, you ignore them both ways and um, I think you know Ancelotti he speaks for himself in terms of what he's done and everything about him so yeah it's going to be interesting I don't think it's going to be very high scoring and it's, it feels like one of those games whoever scores first wins the, uh, just on Richarlison quick can we talk about the social media thing earlier in the week go on 
the live birds thing. Oh, oh wild, wasn't it? <laughs> Thought it was fault that to be fair to him, but it was wild. Like Proo 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 Proo. No, but what? <laughs> so it's like bird makes the noise. Proo Proo Proo. If you imagine you're Richarlison and your phone goes off. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean no. I mean to, yeah, yeah, they, with you under like, What? What? Do you know what I mean? What? Whose fucking idea? Number one, whose idea was it? Number two, once you've decided to do this absolutely fucking bonkers thing, who did you give it to? The work experience kid? Who's cleared yeah. it? And who's, yeah, and after that, who's fucking, it's clear, I, I've never seen anything like it in my entire... I, I'd love it if Richarlison Charles had to transfer a question off the back of it. Yeah, I think it's more, I think it's more like that he went Re-put to like Park like... and just chinned a chicken. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wonder what the bad ideas were in that meeting, yeah. because, you know, they obviously had a big chat at the table. What ideas did they say no to? Somebody. All ideas welcome. <laughs> This is this is this is this this explains my position on ideas. <laughs> Did someone um, lose a bet? Yeah, there's something just like tumbleweeds, and those things yeah. are bad ideas. Someone just say something. Yeah. I've got one thing. As I, I went silent. Yeah. I sometimes say in Anfield rap meetings, but then get a get a look from someone that is such a thing as bad ideas. I'm well, very clear. <laughs> We're throwing some ideas around, but I there mean, is such a thing the, as bad ideas. Only, Usually followed the, by a bad idea. The, the only thing I can think of is a far-ad lad is on work experience, <laughs> and he's and he's interested and in a little bit in, more than that as well. Yeah, <laughs> and he's and he's only interested in graphic design and social media <laughs> memes and all that, and no one's got the balls to go. You can't do this. Uh, oh, Pickford to do it. Pickford to do one as well. He, well, he always it's, is. It's a third Sunday. It's a third Sunday of the month, and we all know the third Sunday of the month. Pickford, Pickford. I mean, in the same way, then do let it, let them let them know the blues. In the same way that I have talked with Charles and up since he was since he played for Watford. To be quite honest with you, uh, and slaughtered Pickford. Uh, History is going to prove me right on all counts. Uh, I'm really looking forward to Pickford being at fault for England going out in the Euros and that being the end of his career. Uh, that is on the cards, ladies and gentlemen. There's no shadow of a doubt about that. Um, Everton, team with no midfield, going to Arsenal. Sigurdsson and Delph, wow, uh, in the middle of the park for them. Uh, what's the score going to be, Josh? Um, I'm going to go with, I'm going to go, I'm going to verge on the side of excitement. I think if, if Arsenal start Martinelli in particular, it's going to be a good, He's good. a good advert He's for young Brazilian lads because him, <laughs> him and Richarlison will just, will just be absolutely running the show on that pitch. So I'll go off the basis that they will start him and I'll go 2 all. 2 all, Chris? Desmond as well, 2 2. Yeah. Easy. 2 1, I think. 2 1. Arsenal 4 0. Oh, loves it, loves an Everton defeat, Andy Heaton, uh, lives for it. Uh, thank you very much, it's been great, thanks a lot to Ant, uh, thanks a lot to Emily, and to Chris, to Fuad, to Josh, and to Andy, it's been your Friday show. Sports Social Podcast Network.